three, two, one. A lot of people care too much about money and time value and then stop their curiosity and humility. I do a lot of things out of curiosity which stumbles me into a lot of places that people don't end up which then makes me see the next influencer and the next hip hop artist, the next podcaster. Today's guided storytelling session is gonna go a little bit differently than our typical ones. For starters, it gets right into things. And that's because we are talking to Gary Vaynerchuk. You probably know him as one of the leading global minds on what's next in culture, relevance, and the internet. He goes by Gary V on his audio experience, on his social, on his video series, and you may have strong opinions about him too. He is definitely a cultural phenomenon. He has more than 30 million followers across all platforms, is a five-time New York Times best-selling author, and one of the most highly sought-after public speakers. Actually, the first time I met him was at South by Southwest, and he was giving a keynote right before mine. And we shared the same stage. Like, not at the same time, but... I thought it was really, really cool. And I thought it was really cool not even really knowing much about Gary at the time. This was when Adam first started managing me and he told me that Gary was going to be there and he was like, I don't ask you for much, but I'm asking you to go meet this guy and connect with him, get to know him and see if there's any way that he might be able to serve as a mentor. Well, like most things, Adam was right about that. And I connected with Gary and years later, we have worked with his team. We have just been guided and learned a lot by him and his lessons and his advice, both privately through this interview and we consume his content. So it's always been very, very helpful. His latest book, 12 and a Half, Leveraging the Emotional Ingredients Necessary for Business Success, is a book that showcases the evolution of Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, he doesn't get personal in his books on his social media, and that's for a very specific reason. We get into that in this conversation. What I will say, though, is he has always been very open about his journey and the way that he has evolved and continues to grow. We get into a lot of things here. Humility, evolution, growth, being the children of immigrants and what that means. Oh man, did I have unlocks? Gary even had unlocks. And this conversation is one that I would say is one of my favorites on the feed, even though it doesn't follow the traditional guided storytelling format. He is still telling us stories, giving us bars, and being so open with his heart, his mind, and his business. So welcome to this episode of Podcast Noor, and I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you. So, I mean, I feel like this conversation is a long time coming. Um, I have known you for like more than a few years now, and I feel like every conversation I've had with you has been a variation of a mentoring session or walking away with lessons, which has always been really interesting to me because I got I met you without knowing what you were known for or the the version of you that most people in the public know you as and then got to know your work and the context of like how you are one-on-one 
through how you are on camera and how you are in the public, to me, is actually very harmonious because it's all about intention and attention and and paying attention to the person. So like paying attention to the message, paying attention to the person right in front of you and paying attention to the audience. And you do this thing that I do too as a speaker, which is read the audience so that you can come, like you basically receive the message that you know that they need. It's like a down, it's like this divine download where you're like, I know exactly what it is that you need and I'm here to deliver that to you in a way that I think you can hear. Thank you for saying that. That's an incredible compliment. I, I believe everything you said is true. I'm incredibly well-intended, I've come to realize. Like I just, you know, you just start analyzing. Like I really want to bring value to other people. I'm in such a nice place. I believe the world is abundant. I think that I'll never eat all the food that I see. I love the practicality of karma and kindness. And you're right, I think um, one thing that I now know that I didn't know about myself in 20s and 30s that is now something a lot of people bring up is like I do pay attention, which blows people's mind because ironically, in podcast form on my platform, I'm incredibly interruptive, you know, because I want to, because I'm always, I'm always, in a place where I want to get more stuff out for the audience and the way I listen sometimes is I talk because in real life, not on a podcast, it's the flow of like a fun dinner combo yeah, and you're just jamming. Totally. But um but I'm loud and 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 passionate and and alpha and jersey and immigrant and all these things which create no question a visual scenario that may not make how I roll so obvious, um, but you know my whole career is based on listening. The reason I'm so in front on so many things in the last 25 years in consumer behavior is because I spend most of my time listening. And to your point, you know, I, um, I love listening to the other person that's sitting across from me especially if I inherently, intuitively feel like, one of the reasons you probably felt that for me is from the day I met you, I'm like, oh, there's something here, here. And so that becomes almost double compounded interesting because you know you're sitting across, and, and, you know, and I was kind of a young whiz kid in the wine business, so now when I see the youngsters coming through my office or outside on the street or wherever it may be, if I inherently quickly get an intuitive read that there's something there, there, special about that person, I become almost like triple listening because I'm desperate to, to with, with hope that I can bring a little value to that person because I think they're on their way of bringing value to the world. Wow, well, thank you for that. I mean, it's, it's like, it seems that the buzzing is, it's how you, it's how you work and, I, and it's how you're able to pick up so many things at so many different times it's kind of like, and this is where the conversation, I don't want to have the conversation around the hustle culture thing. I think you've been doing a great job of being very clear about like where you, how you've evolved and how you choose to be public mm-hmm. about your evolution. It, it yep. does, the tactic though that you have of talking to people and 
watching trends and and when you're meeting strangers almost picking up vibes i mean that's how you ended up being an investor in platforms like twitter uber or facebook that's how you end up being on these really big keynote stages because you're able to i don't know if it's multitasking or you just the way that i see it in my brain is like these antennas that are just like constantly maneuvering picking up patterns and then finding a way to react to them and and what is very not obvious that I'm starting to understand is two of the reasons that that is happening is because of curious, curiosity, and, mm-hmm. hum- and humility. My time on paper today has become very expensive, mm-hmm. right? Which is humbling and motivating and cool and wow and you know like, oh my God, like, if you really break down my hour versus its financial impact, right? Only in the context of business financial, which is why it doesn't matter to me, is become very expensive. A lot of people care too much about money and time value and then stop their curiosity and humility. I do a lot of things out of generosity, humility, and curiosity which stumbles me into a lot of places that people don't end up, which then makes me see the next influencer, and the next hip hop artist, the next podcaster, the next platform, the next toy craze, the next fashion brand. I'm just putting in the work around what I think are incredibly admirable traits of humility, curiosity, and generosity that are not obvious, I myself, didn't even realize it. it was subconscious. Only recently has this been a conscious thing that I can speak to and I'm really proud of it. I think they're grounded in very nice things and they've led to very nice things for me. Mm. Well, that, the, the tricky thing about that is the use of language here. So humility, curiosity, generosity, those are things that I can say as somebody who has had more of a personal relationship with you. I've seen those things so clearly. I've seen it in your team. I've seen it carried out in the work. But you're talking about, I mean, you've reached millions and millions of people every single day. And the millions and millions of people that you reach every single day are people who are not necessarily examining the rest of the soundbite. They're focused on the 30 seconds and you said it you said it beautifully in this in the how I built this podcast where you mentioned like people you're catching these 30 seconds at the height of my emotion when I'm in the middle of a thought like you don't go around buzzing that way in every single <laughs> sentence there's a buildup but we don't think sure. about that we don't think about well what is the context behind before what this person said what is the context after and as an expert you almost do a really great job you and your team do a great job of like not really giving people a need to have to think that way because you're giving them the headline of, of, of the video, you're giving them the sound bite, and then you're facilitating conversation, but it's quick, it's fast, and people have to pick up on well, that. Well, it, but, but I also, yes, but comma, but I also allocate a lot of time to create the depth of it You know, totally. Instagram doesn't allow me, Instagram and TikTok have attention. They don't allow me to put a nine or 15 or 20 or two hour video there. So I have to use Instagram and TikTok as an amuse-bouche or maybe on a good day as an appetizer with the hope that 
as the attraction or curiosity happens that they'll come and listen to how I built this, that they'll come and listen to this, right? Yes. And so, mm-hmm. and, and what ends up happening when you realize you get to a certain place, you realize what's the fine line of accountability, right? And then there's also what's happening in my evolution. I didn't understand humility, curiosity, and generosity, so I didn't speak to it as much. So much more of my TikTok and Instagram short content now has that stuff, even the last three, four months, integrated into it, and things will evolve. There's a lot of people who really loved me five years ago and and don't like me talking about curiosity as much. They wanna talk about tenacity more, and that's okay. I believe in tenacity. I believe in that. I had to stop using to you, Referenced it. I had to start, you know, in 2009, the word hustle seemed like a good word. It was a slang term for, look, the economy's collapsed. This internet thing is exploding. You know, how lucky are we? The premise was, how lucky are we, unlike our grandparents, that we have YouTube after work? And if you're unhappy or stuck, you can use this after hours. Seven, eight years later, out of a lot of my own doing, and, as, and with some agenda from the outside, it gets manipulated to mean something different. To your point, I am devastated by anyone thinking that I speak to things like burn yourself out for success. I mean, just if, if you really look at, all of my work has been very consistent that if you let it all the way through, it's not that. I recognize that I have to have accountability of how I'm perceived, and so I tighten things up. I move things. I use the word work ethic now instead <laughs> of hustle because because I believe in work ethic. I, I think it's incredibly mm-hmm. um, unfair to people to not make that part of the equation because it's an incredibly controllable aspect mm. of the equation. Um, unlike many other things that humans have, at the same token, um, I'm very passionate of evolving as a communicator, but you have to also have a place of where is the accountability on the other side, right? Like, to me, right now, we are at the height of lack of accountability. Like, this thought that, like, where, here's my question to society. If you're gonna tell me that Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter made you a bad person, where were you part of that equation, right? I like, just where is wrote about this in my journal. I just Good. wrote about Good. this, literally. Good. I, well, it may have been, it was a few weeks ago, but what I wrote was, I like had this whole train of thought about my frustration and I was like, I have to stop blaming these apps for the habits that I've created and like my relationship with them because, so I started out on social media, you know, it, from the get I was working on it. I didn't, I like actually vehemently avoided social media. I didn't get a Facebook until my mom was like, stop using my Facebook account to look at your friend's stuff and go get your own <laughs> Facebook account. And then I was like, well then I'm gonna get stuck on this. And I have this very vivid memory. I always tell Adam about this where I was sitting in the corner of my room on my desk with shelves of books above me and I looked over at my bed and I had signed on Facebook and I was facing, like my back was to the window so nobody could, if they came into the room they couldn't see my my computer screen Mm -hmm. and I just remember this whole like situation that I was sitting in and thinking to myself, is this the day that I've lost my imagination? Is this Mm. the day where like 
I'm doing this instead of picking the book up or I'm doing this instead of working on my novel or I'm doing this instead of playing with my sister. And it was just this tight, it was almost like this little uh, numbness and it was like a feeling that I had to put away. And when I realized that, I think my subconscious was like, well, if you're about finding yourself in other people, finding yourself in the writing, finding yourself in these books, finding yourself in, in, in strangers, then maybe the platform is for you to use that to cultivate your curiosity and build your community. And that's immediately what I ended up doing without realizing and kind of building myself up to where I am today. And I, and I, while I was having this reflective moment a few days ago, I thought to myself, like, I can also choose to not be so formulaic with how I use social media. I can choose to like not make this feel like a job and not think when I take this photo, I'm going to wait until Monday at noon to post this instead of just post it in the, in the moment because I'm in, because I'm actually enjoying this moment and it's something I wanted to share with people. You obviously have been active on social media for, for, for years and years now. And it always, it comes through and it feels like somehow you have manifested this living life and parallel to living life, living in the metaverse or the internet verse and, or whatever. In a, in a, in a, in a very serious way. Yes, I mean, and of course, way. like for context, you obviously have an amazing team who helps you make that sustainable. Of course, and of course. You are also but it starts human. with, go ahead. You're also Correct. human. And so you have built this relationship with the internet that has essentially been a tool that's made you who you are and made your, and helped build your family and build this, this Vaynerchuk legacy. I yes. want to know though, in your heart, how, like what is your business aside, your heart relationship with being on the internet and using the internet the way that you do? Because it's very clear, as much as like you do you know, all of funny. the work that you do, you're mm-hmm. also an incredibly private person. Like you don't post about yes. your family, you don't post about your vacations, no. you don't do any of that stuff. So, talk, so speak to that. I will. Um, great, great, great stuff. Uh, so I am wildly private. Um, and I like it that way, I, I think that the world takes what you give it. So I think a lot of people are struggling because people have overexposed the most important things to them. Mm. So if you are putting your children in every post because you know it over indexes in likes, you have to be mentally prepared for when you're strolling down the street with your children for everybody to come up and tell you how cute little Sally is that's just not a comfort. If you are you know, talking about your siblings, you have to be prepared for people to ask questions about your siblings, pry into your siblings. So I, I believe the world will take what you give it. So I don't want to give it my actual family and friendship life because it's escapism. It's my real, actual, like inner thing. It is the most important thing to me in the world. And I also don't really have a great feeling of why that brings so much value to the other person. I don't know why me on a nice vacation is something that brings value to somebody on the other side. I've always, long before it was more talked about, felt that if anything, 
it could lead to keeping up with the Joneses. That me smiling and having a nice time with my mother on the beach of Israel, you know, might make somebody sad that they miss their mom or like they don't have a good relationship with their mom, you know? And I just couldn't, like, I didn't need the affirmation from everybody else of like, I didn't need the cheering on that stuff. I just didn't need it or want it and most of all, nor I didn't want it to have any collateral negative impact on anybody else. Mm. So I, there's another thing that you said. So I, I think you actually know this because you do have a better sense of me, but if, you re, if we were lucky enough to be like high school friends, right? My high school college friends have a very funny relationship with what's going on in my career because they know that almost nothing is different. That I was this excited, this ridiculous, <laughs> like, that I would go into, right? That sophomore year of high school, I would run into lunch class and be as excited about a baseball card show this Saturday that I would make $200 at. You were always, as I that, am guy. Today. always that guy. I was always that guy. And I was also, they also know, which I'm very proud of, that I was also the guy that left popularity extreme popularity on the table because in the 90s, and luckily this is evolving, but definitely when I was in high school, you couldn't be the most popular in school if you, were, if you weren't mean. There's no other way to say it. That to get extreme popularity, mm. you had to be willing to pick on people, and I compromised some high school fun, girls, parties, because I needed to be friends with everybody and even more importantly, I was willing to lose equity with the most popular kids who weren't bad kids. I mean, most of them are my friends. Many of them are still people I talk to. But they would pick on a kid who had a mental illness, a learning disability, and physical disability, uh, didn't look great, overweight, nerdy. And these were things that not only was I not willing to participate in, but I was so empathetic and emotionally charged, all the shit I am today, but this is 14, 15, 16 years old, you're a child, that not only would I not be able to participate, I actually, even right now as I'm saying these words, would get so emotionally upset when somebody would get picked on, that either A, I would get borderline misty-eyed, or B, would get confrontational with the person that was doing it, but not physically, because I really didn't have that skill, um, or size, or power, but in my great gift of words, I was incredibly great at diffusing, altering, adding with words and energy something that would stop the kid getting picked on, but it normally meant something not amazing for me with the popular kid, right? Mm. That, you know, like, um, and so, they know both things. These kids that I knew from 14 to 30, they knew that I did live in that liquor store from 14 to 30. They know all these truths and they are like, have this funny thing where like, it's very funny to me that there's probably 50 people I know right now from acquaintances to good friends that really struggle when anybody tries to razz me as like, it's not true or too good to be true. Like anything, they they get more emotional than I do. And so, where's this going? It's going to your earlier statement. There's a big weird thing about me. I love business. 
I'm an entrepreneur. It is so fun for me. It's like golf, it's like skiing, it's like cooking, it's like watching movies. But, but I really don't need it. I need the game of it, but not the trophies. I'm incredibly under-motivated by money. My relationship with the internet is profound because in my heart, I'm a guidance counselor. In my heart, I'm a little league coach. In my heart, I'm a psychologist, anthropologist. In my heart, I'm a cheerleader. In my heart, I'm like a nurturing machine. I just love scale. Like I, what I have also, which is a little bit different, is increasingly obvious to me tenacity and ambition that has made me want to positively impact everyone, not just 13 people in my neighborhood. And so I feel like I'm a funny character because I'm willing to deal with the judgment of being misunderstood Mm. for the value of having a positive impact. Hi there. If you find our work beneficial and you want to support how we build our company at your service, you can subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash nor. It's usually personal writings and as I build a community on there, hopefully more. Your support is how we build. I also curate a weekly newsletter of all the things I'm benefiting from and enjoying that week. Anything from what I'm reading, watching, listening, buying, and more. Like most things, I keep it personal. You can subscribe to it at nortagori.com slash newsletter. Now back to the story. I love collecting different perspectives on business and audience and community. Something that uh, one of my mentors and I think yours, Seth Godin, says is like he focuses on the smallest viable audience. And when you're doing something that's super niche, like I think what we're doing, where it's like it's maybe less about scalability and more like who are you scaling to and who are you really focusing and like this drive to. Um, Sometimes I wonder if right now, especially if I focus on that, because like I do, I am like a very empathetic person. And so when people are really mean on the internet, like I'm like, I'm good. I don't want, I don't need to see this because um, what I'm, intaking isn't you being mean to me it's you being mean to yourself enough that you're being mean to me and that's that's the thing that that really uh messes with me and something that you said that i literally i like played it back multiple times when you said it in the same um guy raz interview you had mentioned how many of your peers and maybe peers who you know are similar were similar in high school to the people that you were just talking about who really do care about the trophies, who really do care a lot about the accolades. And you said about, you know, the greater, the masses, I can't hear them cheering for me, which allows me to deal with the booing. And that blew my mind because I always noticed this trait that I had where when people on the internet give me compliments, quote unquote, like, I didn't, I don't feel very much towards it. Like it almost is mm. like a numbness, unless it's like a story and somebody details like how you actually impacted them. And you're like, whoa, th- that doesn't even feel like it was from me. That was like you doing the work on yourself. And like, mm. I got to be a part mm. of that and touch it just a little mm. bit. 
But like this idea mm-hmm. that we actually don't need to hear people cheering for us. And that gears us up for being able to handle when every, when people react and project from their own level of insecurity. I mean, it, it almost seems like this is, uh, this is the survival mechanism of, of staying on the internet. Cause I always wonder that in my head, I'm I like, how right. are we going to sustain this? Because the, the, I'm sorry to jump in cause I don't want to lose this point. Please I'll forget. Go. Yeah. Um, it's the survival mechanism in life. Like this concept that social is, or the internet is different than real life is the most laughable thing of all time for me. That, that beca- for me, all that the internet and social media are doing is the same thing that money and fame do. They expose the truth, they don't change the truth. So if you're deeply insecure or completely predicated on outside validation, whether you grew up in 1957 and that anxiety came from just your mom and your neighbor, or if it now comes from strangers on the internet, it was still consistently true. We demonize the current and we glamorize the past almost no different than when somebody dies. We put a spin on it because it's the appropriate thing to do I mean, I've lived 45 years now. I have a lot of relationships where I've been to funerals where, this is tough to say, but like in very simplest forms, it's not like the person was the nicest. And you listen to the way everyone talks from the people that dislike them the most, their children, like really, truly like, and everyone takes a higher spin. And that's amazing. I think that's a beautiful thing about humanity. I also think it puts us in a very vulnerable spot when we talk about 1993 as if it was, people are like, oh, the world. I'm like, like it was awesome. I was like, you mean when genocide and wars and like, and like, like, like as bad quote unquote as it is, when you really look, we progressively get better, not worse. And I believe in humanity's evolution. I think it takes time. I think we have micro steps back, one step forward, two, three, five, all that stuff. But this notion that it's different is not something that I'm a buyer of. And so I think all I did, because don't forget, I was a grown up in a lot of ways. All that judgment that I dealt with for being a bad student, all the eye rolling and making fun of and whispering that I got because I, poor Gary works for his dad at the liquor store mm. when I was 25. Let, yeah, think about this. I think everybody under 30, everybody at 30 or so will really, this should really land for a lot of people between anybody above 25. When I was 25 years old, I was three years into my career and I'd already more than doubled our family business which really, really helped my family as you can imagine, right? But what was happening in my life of my acquaintances, friends, and people I knew, I was getting judged because, oh, I was a loser and the only thing I could do as a grown up was work in my dad's liquor store. Like that was the narrative by 95%. Did you care to change that narrative publicly? Like did you care to correct them? No, and not even privately, not even privately. Not even like, hey, John, Actually, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to build this monster for my dad. I'm going to go do this. I want to do Was this. Was that because my are, like, it didn't matter? Or right. because and you because, did you hold the, did you hold that thing where you were like, I'm going to prove them? Was it ever about yes. them? Oh, I would say it was 94% that it didn't matter. 6% chip on shoulder. I'll show you. Yeah. Now let me explain the 94% because this might bring value. 
it didn't not matter because I thought they were below me and I'm gonna show them. It didn't matter because it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you know, this wasn't a, <laughs> I'm, this is an audacious statement. This isn't right. a quiet confidence. This isn't a disrespectful statement. It's a true human statement. At, no matter how much I adore, find Greg funny, find Susan smart, uh, appreciate Ricardo's kindness, whatever it might be, it just had no bearing on my actual life. I, I didn't have to, nor did I have the energy to justify to anybody my behavior. I'm, I'm very hot on this comment that came out of my mouth that I'm like really gonna pound, which is, I'm not interested in convincing, but I'm passionate about having conviction. And that's what sums up that part of my life. I didn't wanna convince anybody that I was gonna go on to become important and successful. Oh, because yeah. there was no, you like this one, right? Yeah, no, I, I just processed I it. Yeah, I don't need to convince you, but I, but I have to have conviction in what I'm up to. And right now, I believe mm. it's actually the opposite. I believe that people have fallen in love with convincing each other that they're right or, they're, or that person's wrong. Yeah. And the energy spent on convincing instead of the energy spent on conviction. I think about it in terms of diversity and inclusion as well. I spend all my time when I think about it or care to think about it on doing things. Investing time, money, putting people on, right. behind the scenes shit. Uh, did, it, uh, did it last week, 20 minutes, which ugh, I just don't have it, but 20 minutes with a recruiter who was a clown but pumping up this person because I know that my cosign will help this person probably advance, right? I do that more than doing what I see a lot of my friends doing, which is posturing on social media that they're a good person instead of actually spending the time on being a good person. So I think we're very incredibly into optics. Do you watch and the show Succession? I don't. Ah, okay. So there's but this. everybody's hot on it. I know it's back right now. Yeah, it just came so back. So everyone's all fired so, up. Okay, I did watch. I did. I did watch the first three or four, you know, COVID was amazing for me from long form consumption. Mm -hmm. So I'm a short form consumption yeah, yeah. person, as we talked about earlier. I'll spend three hours in a Reddit chain or going down a hashtag portal or connect just consuming 39 fashion designers because I started with one and saw who commented. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a researcher that way. But long form was not part of the equation. Uh, but with COVID, I started watching a lot more television and I did watch the first three or four. I, I watched up to season one where the dad is in the hospital, which I think is episode three or four. Well, so the, the first episode of the third season just came out. There's this one scene where the son, there's, a lot of family drama obviously happening at yep, the premise, yep. but he the the writing was phenomenal because the son who's in a tiff with his dad, he is he's asking his cousin slash teammate to gauge the social media temperature, and then he was like he's like preparing his statement, but looking at what's happening on Twitter so that whatever he says is following the skew of the masses. And I the writing is, is so much better than what I'm saying right now, but it made me realize that we. Like that is kind of, that is the, the, th the climate that we have created is that because things are happening so fast and people are, are putting out opinions before they even know if they're their own. Because I've been really thinking a lot about this. Like the reason that I've been 
off Twitter mostly for this year is like, I realize I actually need to spend time with my own thoughts, thinking about what I actually believe and not being influenced immediately when something happens. By the way, by the way, just for your own knowledge, there is no world that exists that way. Let me explain. This is where it gets really interesting. Yep. This goes back to the cheering and booing. So one will demonize Twitter or, or properly, like I believe you have, understand certain variables about the way they make assumptions, decisions, feelings. I had a friend come to me and say, Gary, I'm in such a better place. I said, tell me. You know, I've stopped social and I've read four books, these four books, and now did da 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 I'm like, and now I'm not being influenced. I'm like, let's start over. I'm like, but you are. Like, you just regurgitated the opinion of four people in book form, which is amazing. All of our opinions are actually formed by other people. This is where so much of my strength has come from. But the book I you're choosing spe- and you're trusting somebody who you believe has taken time to formulate their thoughts. When you're, like if I'm seeing, if I'm clicking on a hashtag that's trending, I like can't vet all of these opinions that are coming into yeah, my but mind. Yeah, couldn't, but couldn't, 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 nor couldn't you argue the opposite? That, you know, that the fact that it is in book form, that person has even more conviction around whatever their point of view is, which I think is a great thing. I mean, yeah. Jesus. This I mean, that's yeah. amazing but, because I want but, them to take that time. But, but, but that might also carry almost too much weight. I'll give you an example. Okay. We have all these feelings about the way we have opinions now, and we're starting to put the 1960s style of journalism on a pedestal, which I think is, Fine. I also want to remind people that when a mainstream media three-channel ecosystem was involved, you were very heavily dictated towards whatever the picture that was painted was, right? And you think about traditional media actually led to the greatest era of fascism and dictatorship and communism. Agreed. And so it's a... Not, by the way, on the record, not that I'm sold that there's any nirvana in what we're in. I think this goes back to a theme that is very exciting about this that I think will hit many people that listen, which I'm really proud of and I knew we would put out some good stuff here and thank you for navigating it. We need to get back to accountability. This notion of blaming, right now, every person in America either blames the mainstream media or social media for them not being the best version of themselves, and I think that is garbage. Yeah. Well, it's and, it, and you're like completely surrendering your own power. You're saying like Correct. I actually which have is what to leads say to which this. leads which leads to unhappiness. When you do not think you have control, you inherently get very unhappy. And then you try to control what? things that you shouldn't be trying to control, which end up being other people and other Correct. people's bodies and other people's choices and other people's Correct. whatever. And so we have this thing. So I want to get to this one um, Please. new concept that I know that you are going to be talking about soon that's coming out in your upcoming book because I think that this uh, new concept or not new concept but you've coined a phrase for for uh kind candor is something that i think is going to be a great is a great intentional tool to think about when we as leaders engage with people 
on bigger scales because we can often, you know, take things personally and try to control people's opinions about us, their opinions about our products, um, the, our opinions about each other. And the reality is we don't, like in a lifetime, we do not have enough time to be sitting here focused on trying to convince everybody that we're great and that we're quote good people. I don't believe that there's such thing yep. as like good or bad people, but um, yep. I do think that we should be focused on maintaining our relationships and how we communicate with one another. And I think, I mean, even this conversation that we're having right now, like I'm taking away different lessons that I know I could use as feedback for myself. And I think people have a, a, a tough relationship with feedback. Do you have a tough relationship with feedback actually? No, but I'm. Tr- this is the theme of today. N- not as much because I love what you just said. I don't believe in there, like you really just hit me like this, and I've heard it before, but that's what's so fun about repeating shit. Um, you never know when it's the time, right? Mm, this yeah. notion of this notion of bad people. I mm. feel like it really hurts our society. And in my family, we've had those narratives of like who's good and who's bad. And once you are documented and branded as bad, you almost kind of throw your hands up and be like, well, I can never get out of this brand positioning, right? Reputation yeah. is what I'm saying. And so. It's a great call out and I'll take that away um, for sure and continue to build on something I've subconsciously believed but it, it just hit me but it's because I have detachment strength. You know, I have detachment from almost everything which is kind of what makes it so easy meaning the reason I don't struggle with feedback is first and foremost, I always wanna know who's giving the feedback. Almost everybody that has ever given me feedback has very little context on me. <laughs> yeah. Just let's just start with that. Totally. Right? Like like the ability to take any negative feedback ever is so easy from a stranger on social because they don't know me at all, by the way. They have access to a certain amount of content contextual to them in that moment. And how could I ever do that? Even people closest to me when they give me feedback, first of all, I always come from place number one. What is the intent? So I know my mother and father's feedback is so easy for me to handle because I know for fact that their intent is purely loving me more than life and what they actually believe is right. Whether I believe that's right or wrong is a totally different story. So many kids that are listening right now struggle with their parents, but if they just understood that little thing, your parents love you more than breathing, comma, it's just what they think. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. So when they give me that feedback, I don't struggle because I come from a place of compassion, empathy, sympathy, and understanding. That takes a long time to get to though, especially when you're the child of immigrants because when you are the child of immigrants and they've come to a place like America and they've done everything they need to do to survive and to provide for you, you're like, you have, like you yes, have Yes, but let answer. me tell you something. Let me give you something as a son of immigrants. Let me, let me drop the all-time immigrant kid frame, like statement that may help millions Let's of immigrant it. kids over the yeah. next decade. Your parents did it for themselves first. This guilt, yeah, I know, I knew this was gonna work. (laughs) 
I knew this was gonna get you. I've been saving that. Nora, I love you so much. Yeah. I've been sa- this is the first time I've ever. Sa- I've. This is the first time I've ever said it publicly. I have goosebumps. <laughs> My like I, armpits I, are sweating. I'm nervous. It, it was it was in, it was in my head. I finally said it because you said it, this is why I love life. Every kid who's listening right now, when your parents drop, do you know what I did to come here to do this for you? You look them in the eyes and you say, "Thank you. I love you more than anything." Comma, mommy and daddy, you did this for yourself first, which is a good thing. Like yes, which is a great live thing. Your life. Like your life does not Which have is to a be great, for you, me. I pr- and by the way, I know all these kids. I talk to all of yeah. you. Your parents did not come here at 21 with the yeah. thought. I'm telling you, they did not. They did not come here in 20. Sure, maybe a little bit. We all do. But they didn't come here at 21 and say, you know what? In 13 years, our little baby is going to be able to go to a private school or get straight A's <laughs> or go to Harvard. They did not. They said, I live in this place that doesn't feel as awesome as America or wherever they went and I'm going to go make it and have a better life for me and my family. Oh, by the way, here's another bomb for a lot of immigrant kids that feel a lot of guilt. A lot of times they did it for their parents more than they did it for you. Mm. A lot of times they came here first for their parents. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're talking about like generational trauma too that projects onto the children. And it's like, well, if I did it for my parents, why aren't you doing what I want you to do for me? Correct. And and then what you do is you talk to your those parents about like, but think about how, my number one move with inner circle, somewhat circle, and then even occasionally into random strangers on DM that gets them to do it and it works. Yeah. Is there's a simple thing, mom, dad you have a really challenging relationship with grandma because she made you be an engineer. Why in the world would you want that for us? Why are you taking your resentment and reenacting that same behavior? This is learned. This is your own subconscious resentment towards your parents. Don't misery loves company me. You always, like you love me, let me be happy. And comma, immigrant life, Yeah, you wanting me to be an engineer or a doctor or go to Harvard because you worry about your sister's opinion or the neighbor's opinion. Or scarcity mindset or because you think that's the only way you can make money and money is the only thing that means success. Correct. Gary, I think so that like, you and I should have a breaking the cycle conversation at some point. I think we should just create, like get a bunch of people together and we're like, all right, y'all, first-gen kids, immigrant kids, even kids who just I, have pressured I would, parents. I'm, I'm, I'm officially signing, because I know I have to run, because I see the <laughs> yeah, next thing I here. Know. I'm officially signing the virtual contract. <laughs> I'm, very, do I'm very open to it. We're just trust, it's just trust. Good, Sa- same, which is where I was going with it. The virtual like handshake sign. You know what we could do? Yeah. And we'll talk offline. Why don't we do like a four-part mini-series? Love. Love that. Like make it like a little micro event, promote it for a while and be like, this April for one week, a four part mini series, we film it all, get a bunch of first gen peeps round table, just chatter, like dinner chatter of like these topics because as you can tell in these last five, 10 minutes, which could end up being the big part of this show, I've got some real interesting nuanced thoughts on this that I think could be big unlocks. 
I love this, that the last couple of years, my entire COVID time has been reflecting on these points and having these really big unlocks. So I'm so excited for this. I want to wrap by asking you two questions. The question that I ask people first, but I wanted to get right into yep. it. And the question I asked people last. First, I want to know, you know, after we just had all that familial conversation, how is your heart doing today? So full and so focused on sharing it. Love that. And finally, Gary, Gary Bay Nurchuk, what do you know for sure? <laughs> that kindness always beats darkness. Mm. I love you. Thank you so much for, for being on here and for being such a great teacher and for being open with me all the time. And I will talk to you soon. I love you. For Gary Vaynerchuk, you can follow him anywhere on social media at Gary V. You can also follow Vayner Media and get his book, 12 and a Half, Leveraging the Emotional Ingredients Necessary for Business Success.